Eels off the dock. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Regan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be a De Beer. Okay, welcome to the Green and Gold Rugby Show. We've got a special edition coming at you tonight. We've got the Egg Chasers, our friends from the UK. My name's Hugh Cavill to begin with. We have no other Australians on this call. Uh, they've been obviously scared off by six straight defeats. And I think about in that time, five groveling podcasts with the Egg Chasers, Matt, Reg, Jamie, that they can't make it on. They've all very conveniently made themselves unavailable for this evening. So it's just me. Um, the Rob Simmons of the show, uh, always available. Um, and here tonight, we've got JB and Tim from the Egg Chasers. Uh, how are you guys? Very well, thank you, mate. How are you? <laughs> um, I don't know. Look, we're in that phase of, 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 a, of a rugby cycle of a week where I'm just starting to convince myself that we might actually win this game, or at least I was until I saw that Jerome Garces is refereeing with Ben Skeen in the TMO box and two French touch judges. So. Oh, ben, ben, let's just start there. Ben Skeen is some talent, right? <laughs> well, ben Skeen, I, I, I'll just sorry, I'll just jump in. Uh, hello as well. And it, it is disappointing not to have the pleasure of the company of, of your colleagues, but I, I thank you for, uh, for fronting up. But yeah, Ben Skeen has had the uncanny ability to make as much of the World Cup about Ben Skeen as Ben Skeen has been able to make about Ben Skeen. He, he might he might be that good. He might be the next Nigel Owens. You don't know, do you? I mean, with that, like, with that level of self-focus, I mean, it's impressive. Well, that's the dream, isn't it? I mean, you just you just want that that level of attention um, in in rugby game. And now he's got his chance. You know, he's got uh, plum quarterfinal gig, and. Mm. Um, yeah, the, the world will be watching. So, so we've got we've got Jerome Garces, uh, Ben Skeen, and Roman Poit as as the officials. Uh, <laughs> basically, I I think I think that it's Eddie Jones versus Michael Checker. I think this is basically everything is set up for Michael Checker to have the mother of all post match press conferences as he go, bows out of international rugby for the final time. Well, well, that's it. The question is, is he going to break something in the coach? I mean, he's not in a coach's box. They're outdoors. So, see, I don't know what he can break. He can throw something, but, I mean, I don't has know. He got one, I think one little, not... Has he got one of his little cats? Little um, cats with the nodding arm? Hmm. Oh, yes, the, the, the lucky cats. Where's the lucky cats? Um, well, I don't know. He had that, that was something to do. I think it was the theme of their, their team last year was something to do with lucky cats. Or, But, but maybe... <laughs> I don't know the, the the configuration of the Rugby World Cup coaches boxes. They've had to shelve that. Maybe, might be why we've started losing. Um, that uh, yes, I don't know. I mean, he, someone could be in real danger in the post-match press conference if 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 uh, this happens like it like it might. A quick question for you, Hugh. How's um um how's Checker actually learned the laws yet? Because it's only a few weeks ago. Um, he was pretty much um oblivious to them all, from what I heard. Well, that's it. I mean, and and uh, he doesn't really believe in that sort of thing. And I, and I um, found something today that I read to you that really embodies Michael Checker's style, and it's from the Rugby World Cup website. Um, uh, Checker was asked for his view on England's strengths and weaknesses, and he replied, I don't really have one, mate. I've got lots of respect, but I'm not a big analyzer of the opposition. I'm always telling my coaches not to watch the opposition so much. They watch too much footage of the opposition. 
and that is a direct quote uh, from Michael wow. Checker uh, yesterday. So really setting the scene for Australia's sort of tactical, um, you know, gameplay this week. Uh, which oh, is, I love um, him. I really, really like him. I've got to say, he's been he's provided so much entertainment, and I don't believe that he's being genuine when he says that. Oh, I, but I, I do, he is, I do understand. Why he I, no, I, I, I think of course they'll do their analysis and and research, and they'll plot the weaknesses and stuff. But I totally understand why he would not want to want to talk about that with any journalist whatsoever, and he want to make all the chat about his team. Mm. Yeah, but having said that, have you ever seen a Checker team play differently? I mean, that suggests to me it doesn't really matter what they're going to do because Checker has the answer, and that's Checker style rugby. And if it if it fails, the answer to that will be more Checker style rugby. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I think I think you're both kind of right. I, I think they've got two paid analysts on the team. You know that they 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 do obviously have game footage and that sort of thing. I question how much Checker really takes it on board though. Um, and I think definitely his philosophy is that if we turn up and play our game how we can play it, then the opposition are irrelevant. They don't stand a chance, mm. um, which I think in the long term in international rugby has been shown up to be fraught because, yes, you can play well on and, and you know, infrequently those days happen. But more often than not, the opposition is so well matched that it's those little one percenters that come with good analysis and good tactical play that get you over the line. We saw it with Wales in the pool game. You know, Wales only did a few different things, you know, a few little things. It wasn't like they came out with a completely remodeled game plan, but that was enough to just get them over the line. And 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 we've seen it with England and Eddie Jones. It's that same sort of thing where sometimes with them it feels so close but so far where we'll have the better of the game for, for 10, 20 minutes at a time, but then England will hit back and in the end they'll just have that greater level of composure, greater level of intelligence. And... It's interesting. I want to ask you guys a question because, you know, it feels like a while since we've seen England. That Argentina game was a long time ago. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, um, with, with the game against France called off, I think it was the 5th of October, so it's 10 days since since England have played, I think. I don't think you had a game since then. Um, and so, you know, what's what's the feeling? I mean, do you, do you worry that that France game might have left you a little bit behind the eight ball in terms of being underprepared, or do you actually think that it's sort of fresh and might make you guys a little bit fresh and ready to go. Well, that, that's what Eddie Jones has said. I, I do personally worry a little bit from the perspective that there was a few players that, that Eddie Jones took with him that were injured pre-tournament and that just were introduced back in during that Argentina game. I'm absolutely certain with the intention that they would be playing a full part in the France game to try and get them ready for the quarterfinals. Uh, guys like Jack Noel, who I think is really important, and Mako Vanapola, who's even more important and Henry Slade, who I think Eddie Jones would have had marked out as someone who was going to be very important in the knockout stages, and they haven't had the opportunity to play that game time. So it maybe will limit what options he was thinking he might have had going into this game. Do you know what, Sam? My question on this is, what do they do with that week off? Because Jones is a notoriously hard taskmaster. And I think the way that he would have set it up would be you work really hard going into the tournament and then the tournament then sort of takes care, care of itself. No one is going to, you know, down tools or whatnot. But if you've got a whole week off, you know, what they do... I, they hope, do, I hope they, they got on the beers for a couple of days. That's all I can say. I hope they got I on guess. the beers for a couple of days and then and then did some proper hard... And then got into a fight. Session. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because it was yeah. time, well, isn't, I mean, surely you could, guys could have found some sort of, um, you know, throwing of little people uh, competition, you know, down somewhere in the <laughs> South Island of, of Japan. It seems to, to work so well in New Zealand. 
<laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, do, do you think you, you assume England are going to go with that unchanged lineup from the Argentina game? I mean, speaking from an Australian perspective, obviously, um, as, and, as, and as many of our listeners probably not following too closely the Six Nations this year, a lot of the faces we're really familiar with that in that side. The only place where I'd suggest there's a few new faces is in that back row where I know Curry and Underhill have been around for a while, but certainly we're more used to seeing a James Haskell or a um, Chris Robshaw there in the past. I mean, what's what style are you expecting England to come out with um, uh, in this in this uh, quarterfinal? Uh, well, I'll just take that uh, first up, and I'll say uh, extremely physical, extremely dominant dominant on the foot uh, on on the on the front foot, and that's exactly what they will be looking for. They'll be looking to bend Australia's line, and then everything else will um, uh, will come from that. Um, so if you let them run over you, if you let them get front football, it could be an awful long day for Australia. I mean, that's that's primarily what um, what uh, what's expected going forward. I think I, I'm, not, I'm not sure about that from the back rows point of view, JB. It, yeah, it depends. Just, if Billy, if Billy Polipola's fit, then yes. But as for the back row, I think actually what Eddie Jones has kind of shown is that he's following the model which Australia really put out there into World Rugby first, which a lot of which New Zealand seems to be doing as well with two guys that are really ferocious and a real challenge at the breakdown so Underhill and Curry whilst they might may not be names that are familiar to a lot of Australian fans that these are two young guys that are an absolute menace on the deck they in a pooper awesome. fashion I mean they are genuinely awesome I think Underhill when he's on when he's on song might be one of the best players on the planet he can just do things which no which no one else can but he brings such ferocity. Don't expect, don't expect to, don't expect him to last the whole game. I mean, I'm surprised that he's got this far, far without an injury, because that's just the way that he plays. Yeah, and and it's um a bit more of a versatile back row you'd think than than what it might have been. Um, as I said, you know, the Rob Shaw and Haskell, good, good players, but they're sort of fit more in the workhorse mould than necessarily yeah. you know that that sort of high higher end performer. Um. Manu Tuilagi is another bloke that I think we've had our eyes on here for a while and obviously struggled with being out of favour, being injured, obviously, for, for quite a quite a long period. He looked, I thought, really good um, in those early pool games. But, um, do, you know, I think this might be his time. Do you do you agree that he's sort of coming into his own now, finally? Uh, Tim? Yes, I totally do. And I think... It's, it's his sheer presence. Well, when England have the ball, it's his sheer presence that is so dangerous, not just because he is a wrecking ball of a man if he can stay fit as he's started to show again, but because you have to you have to really watch him. In, the Australian defence will really have to watch him. And as a result, the, the gas that England have out wide gets that little bit more space just because of the threat that Tuilangi poses. And I think that's that's where then we might get some joy but I look at it and I think actually and we've talked about this on our podcast episodes that we think that's a potential area of weakness that Australia can exploit is the centre channels because whilst going forward Farrell as a distributor is is fantastic Tuilangi as an attacking threat is is really potent defensively you've got some uh, you've got some big boys you can run down that channel yeah and I would just say I just add on to Tim's point I mean picking Manu Tuilangi it's basically a compromise. You're getting world-class go-forward, and I think he is legitimately one of the best in the world with ball in hand going forward. That's great. 
But the compromise might be on the other side of the ball where, you know, you can bait him out on the line, you can create a dog leg. You know, both him and Farrell will be looking for some big shots and not particularly disciplined all, all the time. Uh, and, you know, same with Farrell. You know, what you've got is a very good attacking player. He's got solid skills all around, but he can be baited. Yeah, I think what Australia will do is is actually our centre pairing seems to be a bit of a flip side. I mean, these days... You know, centers seem to be fairly fluid across the field in terms of where they line up, but we'll have O'Connor at 13 and and us and Karevi at 12, and it sort of almost works reverse where we have now put our distributor at 13 with our crash baller at 12, and and um, it seems to be working relatively well, but um, certainly our greater problems in this World Cup and before have been inside in that sort of nine ten. Sure. Um, can, I, can I just and, ask you a question um, on, on? Can I just ask you a question on James O'Connor? Because yeah. JB and I, we, we we live in Manchester, so we've seen James O'Connor up close and personal. Yep. He, we've seen we've seen him go from looking really, really not good, looking really out of shape. Then he went and did those. Did you see those breathing exercises he did uh, in Iceland? In, in Iceland or no, no, in, uh, what, yeah. California? What have you made of all of that? What have you made of all of that and of him? Because it's pretty. It oh. seems remarkable the the kind of progress he's made. It's it's amazing, really. I mean, I remember reading some of those Instagram posts where he was talking about sensory deprivation and deep state meditation and, <laughs> and you know, it crystallized in his mind that he wanted to come back and play for the Wallabies. I mean, this is real, you know, um, it's like something out of a martial arts movie. You know, he's gone to the Highlands with a sensei and it's sort of convinced him that he has do to do what he some, has to do. Do you want to know some, some inside gossip, allegedly? Yes, of course. Allegedly, allegedly. Allegedly, uh, he would be playing with nunchucks before kickoff at kickoff at sale. Allegedly. Oh, that's fantastic! <laughs> Isn't that's it just? Fantastic. I thought that was going to be something salacious, but that's even better. Um, yeah. the, um, th- but the thing about him is, is I don't think anyone, if you told anyone here at the start of the year that he'd be playing a first thirteen for the Wallabies in the World Cup, I think that people would have laughed at you. But he's he's got that sort of. Um, those attacking instincts and uh, you know his defense has been a little bit suspect but I think it's getting better and what he does is he's got an ability to straighten the line and to just put his outside man in space he hasn't done a huge amount of really eye-catching stuff um, in the 13 jersey for the Wallabies but what he's done is just straighten that attack and 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 helped out um, Marika Korobiti especially outsiding but also Kurtley Beal and um, Reese Hodge but to, to just kick, sort of straighten that line and put them in space. Because traditionally, we've had a guy like Adam Ashley Cooper or Tavita Kurandrani, and, and they were both renowned to be non-passers. And, you know, the, the attack would die with them more often than not. They just put their head down and truck it up. Um, but you know, but if, what O'Connor got, gives is a bit of kicking game and a bit of versatility. Yeah, if you've got O'Connor and you've got, I don't know who, who, who I mean, who's the fly half likely to be? Is it going to be Foley? No, it, it'll probably be Christian Leal. Fano, this is the, the probably the big question wow. hanging over the Wallabies, which is never good in a World Cup quarterfinals. Who's going to play ten? Um, I mean, it's got Leofano, you've got O'Connor, and you know, hopefully Beal will be um, uh, will be about finally. You know, all of a sudden you've got a, a lot of skill, a lot of skill. Interestingly enough, though, it's the backline that's been letting us down in in this World Cup. Our forward pack is as settled and as comfortable and as as um, good at set pieces as I've seen in a long, long time. You know, we've got um, so so English viewers might be unfamiliar with. Um, I suspect we'll play Izzy Nicerani at number eight, and um, he is um, Australian born and bred in the sense that he's now fulfilled his three-year eligibility requirement um, and can play for the Wallabies. <laughs> um, um, 
Yes, and and he brings a bit of steel and a bit of that sort of um, attacking punch to, to the forward pack. Um, but also um, Tolu Latu is our hooker, and he's really grown into the role in this yeah, World Cup. Really probably been our me. best forward. Yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, I mean the area of the Australia pack, which I really, which I really like now, and I've always thought they're a little bit soft there. It's second row. I really like both. Both, both of those second rows. I, I, I think they, I think they might even be a good match for England, for English second rows, which you know have got this, this hell of a reputation. I just wonder if they're going to come in a little bit overrated, and the Australians are going to come in a little bit underrated. Yeah, well, I, I think that's the case. And, and look, the, the blueprint for Australia to win this game is in that forward pack. It's to get that go forward ball. It's a really quite similar to what England is, and, and. Um, it's it's that you utilizing that that uh, those hard running forwards off nine likely to be Nick White, utilizing those hard running forwards and and getting over that gain line and just getting a roll on and then all of a sudden straightening the line in the backs and using that space. It's pretty simple stuff with Checker. Um, and you know you're never going to see elaborate uh, rap moves and and uh, you know sort of really out of the box thinking and tactics. It's it's going to be pretty straight up and down and it's just going to rely on that physicality. Um, course, and to see, be honest, I'm, I'm a little, carry on. I'm a little worried about actually over enthusiasm and what that results in in terms of, um, you know, diving in at the ruck or or high tackles we've seen. We've we've copped, I think, what five yellow cards this World Cup? Maybe not quite that many, maybe four. Um, but you know, it, it's that over enthusiasm that leads to high contact or shoulder. You know, this is this is um. Yeah, where our, one of our weaknesses is if we just come out a little bit too too hard. And and I think everyone's watching these quarterfinals and now we're in the knockout phases to see if the referees are going to stick to this focus on yellow and red cards for high contact. And I don't think anyone wants to be the first. And, and um, yeah. I think most Wallaby fans are a little bit worried that, that uh, we could be in the firing line. Yeah, and I get that. And I just I just I was just going to say that um, inexplicably, despite being um, a Welshman, JB along with Phil... Uh, our other team member were in the air flying to Okinawa in Japan during that Wales Australia game. Uh, I, watched it. I watched it. I I did not plan that itinerary. That would not. Have <laughs> but, um, so so I had to I had to sort of debrief them on the game uh, on a, on an episode, and I, I can just say I was I was very upset on Australia's behalf after that match, and. Um, yeah, you haven't had the rub of the green with officiating, but equally, like you say, your players have to take a bit more responsibility themselves. Yeah, that, that's right. And, and you know, that Wales game is is the great one that got away for us because I think at the 65th minute we thought, oh great, you know, we're going to come home here over the top of them. And and in the end, I think it was just that that 10 minute period in that first half, that 20 minute period where Wales were well on top that killed us. We just couldn't quite get back, but. Um, yeah, it's it's been the story of this Wallabies team for quite a while, which is why there's there's a pretty strong pessimism pessimism I suggest over here. I, I'd like to know the mood in in you know with English fans over there because yeah here there's I think that Wales game really sort of we needed to win that one to to really have a winnable path to the final, and now yeah. it looks like here England now, which you know we're we're zero and six in the last. Um, what since that 2015 World Cup game, and then you know into potentially New Zealand after that, you know uh, there's a real yeah uh, it's it's well, a bit of a shame here. It doesn't feel like there's a huge momentum behind the game here, which is what I'm trying to say. 
in terms of England, you've got to remember this. Um, the English press is absolutely enormous. It's one of the bigger markets in all of, um, in all of rugby. And they are obsessed with Team England. They don't really have much time to go see Wales. They don't have much time to go and look at Scotland or Ireland. In fact, they know they exist, but they don't really know much more about them than that. Uh, so what you tend to find is the English press build up England far beyond what they're actually, cap- what they're actually capable of. So if I were to... The, if I was to describe the English mindset now towards the England team, I'd say they probably think that the, that the world class and they probably think they've got very, very few weaknesses. They also probably think things like Owen Farrell is a world class class fly half. And this is all because the English press don't do anything other than focus on team, um, uh, on team England. So whereas I think the Australians have a little bit of realism about their side now. I think the English do genuinely think that they're in a league with the All Blacks and South Africa and Wales. And, well, you know, I just don't think I don't think they are. I think they can be. I think they've got maybe the talent to do so. But Eddie Jones hasn't shown nearly enough um, consecutive consistency um, in order for me to agree with that. Well, do you know, what? I can just fill in your listeners. I mean, people, if, if green and gold listeners have have listened to our little hookup podcast, they might be familiar with JB. Um, but but I mean, how you can not describe Owen Farrell as a absolutely elite, <laughs> top level, top level player. It is, it is inexplicable, inexplicable. It's absolutely inexplicable. He's the only person that doesn't. And, and the bookmakers um, have England as third favourites started the tournament as second or joint second bookmakers 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 had Ireland 25 point favourites over Japan no understood understood I I do understand so obviously on any given Sunday um there can be any any given result and I do get that but of course England are are right up there they do have very few weaknesses they will lose the game rather than Australia win the game is the is the way I'm going into this and I think it could be So I'll, I, I would, I'll play mediator here then. If England lose this game, how's it going to happen? To, to, to well, give us Australian fans some hope, how's it going to happen? Well, JB's got this idea that England's... Um, we talked about the midfield defence. I actually would just say that um, that's one of the strongest parts of England's World Cup so far has been the fact that, except for what, a stupid moment at the end of the USA game, we never, ever looked in trouble defensively. Uh, and I think that we, uh, albeit we haven't faced a real test yet, and that is a concern. Our defence is looking rock solid. So I think it's going to be a rush to blood to the head by someone and a red card, which is possible. And we've seen how unpredictable things can be. And I, th- or I think it will be, hold on, where, where will it go? It will be no Billy Vanapola. And then you lose that front foot. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I, so Australia need to do a few things. Uh, first of all, they need to keep the ball off England. I mean, that's quite obvious because once England get the ball, I mean, we saw it against Argentina when it was a competitive match for about 10 minutes. England got the ball, a few phases, always over the game line. And that allows Owen Farrell and George Ford, particularly George Ford, actually, to weave, uh, to weave some magic. Now, if you want to beat them, first of all, you've got to stop that. And also, controversially, I would say, you've got to attack them very narrow because their line speed is so... If you try and play the checker-style rugby where you, you are just running you know, two or three men out from, from, from the ruck, you're going to get annihilated. You're going to get smashed. But 
if we see Australia do something smart, like I think it was against the All Blacks when Nick White carried the ball 98 times or something, I think that's probably a better strategy to beat England because you keep their line speed down. So you've got to take, you've got to somehow keep the ball off them, which is easier said than done. And also you've got, got to you've got to mitigate their, their line speed. I suggest attacking them around the breakdown. Oh, and also, um, just to completely flip what I said. Attack him around the breakdown, but also give Cora Betty ball when when yeah, whenever just give him the ball. What I was going to say, give him the ball. Yeah, yeah, he's he's been one of our best, hasn't he? And and you know, in, in a backline that just hasn't got its momentum going. I mean, for we just haven't been able to find any consistency at five eight. And and I think you know, Christian Lealafana was part of that team that beat the All Blacks so comfortably in Perth. Um, seems like it was five years ago, but it was only about two months. Um, and you know, we, he just hasn't nailed down the spot. And the other thing that I think is is um, worth keeping in mind for him is he's only, I think he's less than two years off having cancer, off having leukemia. So um, they found in this camp, especially that after the Fiji game, I think his, his recovery has been a lot slower after big physical games uh, than potentially what it might have been. And and, and I've, I've heard that might be one of the reasons, obviously, the the effects of having chemo and, and all those sort of things. So um, he, he's certainly a great story and one to watch out for if he starts. Matt Tamura off the bench has been um, our, our, our other real standout and come on, especially in that Wales game, what, what you would have seen, Tim, is, is him straightening the line late in the game yeah. and really sort of bringing a bit of physicality and um, a bit of direct running into that into that position. He really plays as a centre, a third centre almost in, in the 10 jersey. Um, I don't think we'll start with him. I think um, I think he'll be brought in with about half an hour to go. Um, but um, the way the Wallabies have been playing, you know, it just seems like the way we lose the game um, is that we lose the plot in the first 20 minutes. It just seems like in the big games we haven't started well. Fiji. That's a great up, shout, uh, Hugh. That's a great shout, Hugh. And that's time. actually when you look at when you look at England's last couple of years, they have the games where they've really performed. They've started on fire. And they get yeah. a lead and nev- never let it go. So yeah, let, let's. Let, I think that first ten minutes is it, the, the game will be won or lost by Australia in those first ten fifteen minutes. I completely yeah, agree with I, I, completely agree. With yeah, that. I I think it'll it'll show just where their heads at and, and early tactics and these sort of things because um you know in Fiji we came out and just decided we wanted to fling the ball wide for no real reason and Wales we just weren't even there we got pushed off the first ruck so you know th- these these little things that. Yeah, uh, I, I, I tell you what I, does bode well for Australia though. Um, that, that 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 performance against uh, Wales. I mean, you look dead and buried, and and you slowly came back into it. And if there's one thing that England hates, it's teams that come back at them. I mean, they lost two games in uh, South Africa with healthy leads. They threw away a lead against Scotland. You know, so that that you know that might be another potential route for you guys to win this game. Yeah, well, I think the thing that frustrates a lot of fans here is, is I th- we are a good team. You know, there's a, there's talent in our team, but we just haven't been able to put it together. And you know, there's there's a feeling that we might have a game in us in this tournament. Um, but you know, the time to produce it is really now. So if the if the side clicks as they did against the All Blacks in Perth, then then we can we can win. You know, and we can win by as as we did in uh, 2015. We can win by 15 points, but. I mean, it, it just seems like that performance is so few and far between by this side that, that I don't think anyone has real faith they'll produce it. Michael Cheggar will be building a siege mentality uh, around this side. You know, they'll be coming out with, you know, saying nobody believes in us. You know, we're the underdog here. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, um, yeah, well, that's right. And and so I suppose I realise we'll wrap it up 
in in a just a couple more questions. I just want to throw what what, what what's Eddie Jones saying this week, and and how do you think he's you know what we haven't seen many mind games. I think the the Australian press have been trying to goad him out of it, but we we haven't had many of those Eddie Jones sort of moments this week. Um, we, you know, what do you make of that? Mm, we haven't. Uh, do you know what? I, I I've I've got to say one thing I have noticed watching this is how Eddie Jones's knowledge of Japan has been wonderful for England. So the second that the game was called off, within seconds, England were out 500 miles south, training in warm weather in Miyazaki, which he'd already lined up as a as a bit of a, a, a backup. And his local knowledge seems to be just squeezing those extra 1% here and there in terms of preparation. He has been very quiet. The, the only fear is that this is, we're going to see the end of the long con and this whole four years or three, yeah, four years has been just one long con for this moment where Eddie Jones can, uh, can look after his own countrymen and shaft the pommies. Yeah. <laughs> Sleeper agent Jones. Well, we see, yes, yeah. well, we're still burned from Robbie Deans in the 2011 one, so uh, <laughs> sleeper agent got it, got us good there. Well, that's the excuse we're running with anyway. Um, <laughs> so anyway, look, I'm, I'm mindful I've, I've taken up well a heap of your time. Thanks so much. Could we leave us with a tip and and a um, who's going to win and and the standout performer from the winning side? All right, so this is going to wind up Tim no end because on egg chasers this this Sunday I said England are going to win. I said on the Betfair podcast only yesterday with the same Tim Cocker, England are going to win. And now I've literally convinced myself that Australia can win and the stop <laughs> uh, will be Nick White. There you go. Well, Tim, what do you, how do you respond to that? It's interesting that you've picked Nick White because I think Aussie fans tend to think that Ben Youngs is a, a, a real world-class nine because he always oh. seems to play well against Australia. He always plays well against us. We've had this discussion <laughs> we, before. I yeah, we have. We see him have some absolute stinkers. Um, and uh, I think England will win. I think England will win by more than seven maybe about 10 points, 10 point win. And I think that the man of the match, I'm going to say Ben Young's just to, just, wow. to go up against, just to go up against, because he quite often, he does pull these world-class performances out against Australia. He does. He does. That, that he does. Well, look, I'll, I'll finish from Aaron. Look, I'll, I'll have to, you know, be parochial here. I'll say the, the Wallabies will get up. Um, and I think they'll get up by five. If anyone's going to be the man of the match in this game in a Wallaby victory, I have a feeling it's going to be Michael Hooper. He's been playing out of his skin this World Cup so far, and this is just a game I can see him dragging us over the line through sheer force of will um, and just break down and keep all like he does um, and just getting around. So, um, yeah, you know, there's still a question mark as to whether David Pocock will start. I suspect he will. Um, and um, but I think Hooper's the real star of this World Cup for the Wallabies. So one very quick there question. we go. Yeah. One very quick question. Because I was thinking about this in terms of England. Are there any players in in the Wallaby side who will likely retire or may well be playing their last international game if they lose? Yeah, there'll be a few. So David Pocock has signalled his intention to retire. He's got a lot. Um, of, he's got a lot so of Kobe Kepa doesn't he? To be fair, well, that's <laughs> right. I mean, Extreme Rebellion lot. I've been missing him. Exactly. <laughs> that's exactly right. There's. He'll probably be uh, coming the transgender bathrooms or something, won't he? So he, he, he you know, he's got an awful, an awful lot to do with Penniston. There's mining equipment that needs people trained to it. Um, the um, 
Yeah, Sakopi Kebu in the front row. Um, I believe there is a player in the back line um, who's... Uh, will Genier potentially will be on his way out. Um, Adam Ashley Cooper, I think, might be on his way out too. So there's a few that are there. And um, you, know, you never say never with these blokes coming back, but there, there are a few big names that have certainly uh, signaled their intention to, to go. Um, yeah, so, I mean, anyone from England? I don't think there would be, though, would there? There's Dan, some pretty Dan Cole from England. Dan Cole, yeah. Dan Cole might, but other than that, and I would only mention that as a brief thing because I just I wonder how much these little moments when you have to dig really, really deep, uh, how much that might happen if there's half a dozen of those guys on the field. Just could it? Yeah. If it's if it's one score with a few minutes left, who knows? Yeah, yeah the only ones I can think of for England are Dan Cole and Joe Marler. Mm. That's it, really. Joe Marler's sort of not the typical retirement either. No, we will see. Well, oh, I can't wait can't wait <laughs> it's gonna be great it's gonna be great and um yeah look thanks so much for your time i hope next time i don't know when england and australia play next uh uh i, I haven't looked too much beyond this week to be honest but uh certainly and let's wait uh, we'll and see what before we decide how enthusiastic we're dukes oh and six we're due maybe this is the bad omen maybe we're i'm the bad luck charm here <laughs> you know and uh yeah well look let's not and <laughs> Well, anyway, look, thanks for your time, guys, and uh, I'll let you get back to it. And, and uh, yeah, have, have a great week, and we'll see. We'll see. May the best team win. Heels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Regan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be a de Beer.